Hi, and welcome to episode four of Betty, Girl Band the Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the series, rate and review it. And now, wrap your luggles around this. This podcast is meant for mature audiences only. Girl Band the Podcast, the tale of the band Betty's meteoric rise to the middle. Remember when Emma Goldman said, if there's no dancing at the revolution, I'm not coming? Well, tonight we have both. Thanks to Betty, we have the music. And thanks to all of you, we have the revolution. Hi, it's Allie. Hi, it's Amy. It's Elizabeth. And it was 1984 we were talking about, I guess. When yeah, we were talking about Ambiance Zebra, which was our second band together. The first year, we forgot to talk about this, the first year that we were together in, in Ambiance Zebra, our guitar player decided that we shouldn't play out for a year yeah. until yeah. we until we perfected our sound. And we went along with it. Because we didn't know any better. Yeah. The, but that's why we lasted for three years, because we didn't play out for one year. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that, it was actually really good, because I learned a lot from him. I really did. As a musician, I learned a lot from him. And I learned what I wanted and what I didn't want. definitely a learning experience yeah. but I, I was feeling more and more frustrated because we weren't performing and really that's just the whole point of it oh you were you were you'd be like you said we have to play out we have to play out and you said no we can't we're not ready yet we're just not ready for me the the way of getting better it was playing out you just got better because you could hear yourself more and because the sound systems usually sucked but also you gave yourself the freedom to experiment and you saw what resonated with you and how you like to perform and what the audience liked. But it's the good. most important thing is what you already said, that we were three girls who weren't exactly sure what it was that we were supposed to be doing. And here was a guy who was very confident and very commanding about what it was he wanted. And we all just sort of shrugged and said, okay. It was basically an SM relationship. sudden we started realizing right as feminism was growing in us and around us and Mm -hmm. and all the things that we'd already grown up as feminists without even naming it and then all these things started happening in dc like this woman susan hyde put on a a free feminist film series festival (laughs) and we all went and we all went and it changed you know changed my life i mean it was things like born in flames and Mm -hmm. And um, we not were a love story. No question just of like, silence. It was an incredible awakening time. Your mind was ex- us. We our, our minds, minds were, were being blown, imploding. Also, mm-hmm. They were. We were awakening. We were figuring out what was important to More us. Protests were happening. AIDS Absolutely. was blown out. So blown we out started of the water. to understand that this guy in our band was kind of calling the shots, and we didn't. 
feel good. Feel, Something it didn't feel it good. didn't feel good. Allison and I even had a group called Rage, mm-hmm. Women's Rage Against Global Women Enslavement. Women Rising Against Global Enslavement. Rage. And there were six of us, and it started at the Record and Tape Limited, which is where I worked. It was such a great thing. It culminated in in us declaring Dupont Circle, which is a little tiny park in um, D.C as a harassment-free zone. Mm-hmm. And we even got Marion Barry to sign a proclamation, That's declaring right. it a harassment-free zone. To this day, it should be a harassment-free zone and because, it of, of, because of rage. Harassment, actually harassment in DC at that time in the 80s was so intensely huge, mm-hmm. you could not walk down the street without without men saying something to you passing by every single, almost every single man. Yeah, it was horrific. So, I remember you got punched. Remember that? Yeah, but that was because I kissed my girlfriend. And we, uh, yeah, we got punched. And yeah. we got followed. And it was intense. And I remember walking behind you, Allison, and hearing what guys would say to you yeah. right as you walked past. Oh, was, I remember I was so angry. It used to make me so angry. It seemed so unfair that any guy could say whatever he wanted to and, and put me beneath him because of that. And I remember today. saying, going to my mother and saying, Mom, how could you stand it when guys would say these horrible things to you on the street? And her saying, oh, it's worse when they don't say anything. Oh, and, I remember you uh, saying that. And at that, that time being like, wait, no, something is wrong here. And that was our consciousness raising time. But also the mid-80s, we really yeah. connected with other women and really started understanding mm-hmm. that we needed to change things mm-hmm. and change them now. So that was happening as our band was developing. So when we started having some tension in on beyond zebra we realized something was wrong and we started t- kind of talking about it we were also questioning us. why he was in control i remember i went on a business trip to australia what mean, business were you still at worldwide I was travel? still at worldwide travel i was invited to go to australia all expenses paid to see about some hotels and things and i had an affair with a woman who was from new zealand and when i came back I said to Elizabeth, I have something to tell you. And she said, I have something to tell you. I said, I'll go first. I slept with a girl. And she said, well, I have a girlfriend. <laughs> Kiwi Connection. Kiwi Connection. Overripe indulgence, sacred morning haze. Overripe indulgence. Morning then we brought that. Wait, did you laugh? We laughed, but also it was a very strange thing because, you know, I'd, I'd always thought of myself as one thing, and then I was kind of even just experimenting more. And then we brought that dynamic into the band. And I think Andy was too much for him. I think, you know, the feminist stuff was one thing, but then the lezzy stuff was just too much. We wanted to be more political on stage. Remember when on stage we started saying things and he would say, no, it's got to be about the music. And we didn't think so. We we wanted to be political. We wanted to talk about women's rights. We wanted to talk about LGBTQ oh, right. Right, rights. We wanted to talk about all that stuff. We wanted to talk about women. And it we started fighting. We started having horrible, horrible fights. And I always had to go pick him up to come to our rehearsals. And I would say, <laughs> I no, that. no, please, someone come with me. Because I knew it was just going to be a fight the entire time. I told him he couldn't censor me on stage ever. Which was another fight. And they just got worse and worse, these, these conflagrations. 
generations, but we didn't think we could walk away. And you then know? we had a band meeting, and God bless him, Mike Pugh, our, our, curly, drummer. our chair-haired drummer, said, you know what, I'm out. I'm done with this. It's too much fighting and it's not fun. And all of a sudden we were like, you can walk away from a band? You can leave a band? It was amazing. We didn't yet, though, until Dodie Bowers invited just the three of us to sing at her birthday party at the 930 Club. Because she heard that we were doing some acapella stuff on our own. You know, for our friends in the hospitals and different things around town, I guess. I have to say, Dodie Bowers was the one woman in D.C. that I think men and women and kids everybody had a crush on her everybody she was so cool i don't think i'd ever met anybody that cool she was the epitome of cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she had us play at this this crazy party and we had such a good time wait she asked us us what our name was oh yeah so she she said okay so i just want the three of you all to come but you know give yourselves a name and so the three of us for the night for the night we were going to do this birthday party and just the three of us are going to sing and we didn't know what we were going to call ourselves and then we decided that in the car on the way there in Mm -hmm. allison's chevette Mm -hmm. that we were going to call ourselves betty because it was some i forgot it was all american Yeah. yeah well that's what you said to me, it was just because there was an ad on the radio right then uh, for people would be like, hello, Betty. It was for like some shaving your legs or something like that. And everybody would say, hello, Betty. And it seemed like a good name for us. Oh, I thought, it, yeah. Or from the 40s movies where she was wisecracking. I just went along with you guys. I, I don't think I had my own opinion. It just seemed, it clicked. And yeah. it was for one night. So who cared? You know, right. we, just used, we didn't know that we were going to have that name for 33 years. <laughs> and people would ask us to this day what it means. Well, but it was such an incredible night. And I will never forget the feeling of getting up there and singing just the three of us. I was so nervous more nervous than I'd ever been for Quiver, more nervous than I'd been for my bands before, and definitely more nervous than Ambiance. Really? It was just the three of us, and just the three of us singing a cappella, and with, I think, my bass on on one Mm -hmm. song, and just sort of like taking a a gasp. The three of us held hands before the show. I remember that. We just like held hands, and downstairs in the dressing room, we were like, okay, let's do this, looking at each other in the eye. Went upstairs, and our lives changed. Hello, Betty. Nice. Hello, Betty. Ay, 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 I don't remember being nervous at all. I remember actually being free. I, I thought it seemed really sparkly and and then I remember walking in the snow with the three of us and we had decided that we were gonna be on our own. The reaction from people was was so amazing and authentic when we were singing yeah. for me it just made me realize that singing harmony a cappella and people just respond on this level that is so instinctual true and it's, it's still to this day it's a vibration where and and the triumphant that we were and still are it just affected people in a way that that i had never really understood as deeply before and we didn't just sing you played your cello and you played your bass for a song mm-hmm. Desperation, senseless deprivation, self-induced isolation, social assassination. We were free to just be the three of us, but more than that, it was just this response that was so incredible from people. 
And I think our friends were there too, supportive, because maybe they were seeing our journey at that time. They saw from the punk band to um, the art band, and then they saw another facet. And I think it was respect, and it was also support, and it was kind of a, a green light for and us. And a birthday party. And a birthday party. So everybody was so having drinks a great were involved. So but exactly. I think our friends were always stoked about when we were on stage anyway, from Quiver to... And we, we amassed more friends as we kept playing, and as we still do when we play. When we started Betty, we could not... We told Andy, because we were still going along, just without a drummer, we were trying to find another drummer, <laughs> and we told Andy about it, and he was not happy at all. He thought we were we were completely ruining our brand by doing it, but it was something that we was ours, and mm-hmm. we weren't giving it up. And so we did a couple more shows. I think one of our last shows was at Club Saba. If you remember Club With Ambiance Zebra, you mean? With Ambiance mm-hmm. Zebra was one of our last shows, which we didn't know at the time, but we were, we were playing. That was 1985, right? 1985, mm-hmm. and that was the night. I remember I started drinking very heavily <laughs> at Ambiance Zebra shows because it was just so Before the tense. show? No, 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 after the show. Oh, of course. We would just be in the dressing room and just, I wouldn't, I never drink before a show. I know. Um, but anyway, so, so I was drinking very heavily after the show, and uh, I came out from the dressing room, and... A guy walked up. I happened to be holding a photograph. A guy walked up, looked me in the eyes and said, you know, I can frame that picture for you, the picture that I was holding. And I looked into his eyes and there was something so comforting and so welcoming in his eyes that I thought to myself, I can trust this person. Hey, this is Tony Salvatore, partner of Allison Palmer, bass player for Betty. And uh, we met in the 80s, like 1984, 1985 in Washington, D.C. at a club called the Saba Club. I had actually seen Ambiance Zebra a couple times before. I thought they were a very cool band, but I was particularly moved by the bass player. So at the Saba, I came up to her after the show and I wanted to talk to her and I noticed that she had a promo pic sitting on the bar. So I went up and I offered to frame her picture for her. I was working at a frame shop. I had juice at the shop. Hey, you gotta work with what you got, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, we um, things worked out pretty well. 35 years later or whatever, we got two kids and happily ever after in the Lower East Side. Plus, he was super hot, and super he had hot. long hair, which is I totally really, your M.O. I really, really liked him, and all I wanted to do was put to, this guy together with somebody because he was so cool and so great, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, so good-looking and so funny and so wonderful. So I tried to start, I started fixing up. His name was Tony, and I started fixing him up with anybody I could. And you came over to me. Is this when we were roommates? I guess we were living in, yeah. You said, Amy, I have the perfect guy for you. Because I was still kind of going back and forth, guys, girls. I hadn't decided what was going on. And I said, well, describe him to me. And you waxed poetic about Tony and said the most amazing things. And and you said, "You, you should go here with him and here with him. And then I said, you know what? The way you're describing him, I think you like him. I couldn't possibly be with him. He was too sunny and wonderful. He didn't break my heart like the, the guys that I'd been falling <laughs> in love with. And then I realized that this incredible musician could be someone I could be with. He was there as a fan, but I remember we did a show later at the Saba Club with him, I think, and his band called Random Samples, which was so new wave. It was the most new wave band I've ever seen in my Ultra life. Ultra new wave. Yeah. She it's, even wore tutus on stage. Mm-hmm. So new wave. It's the night Allison met someone. I met someone. Melodious. A rock star guitar genius. I met someone. I met someone. I think can hang and hold his own against this gang. I met someone. Wow, what a 
time of freedom and what a time of experimentation when we realized that it would just be the three of us no restrictions remember we i remember having the conversation saying look you all we could have a full orchestra if we wanted or just have like one bongo whatever we want we can do no one is going to stand in our way and that's kind of where our betty uh, mojo came from yeah we wanted if we wanted to do a song that only called for amy playing cello and us singing like fed up we did it then yes we could do whatever we wanted mm-hmm. to which was so exciting and i remember that uh, that translated also into our lives i was working at the 9 30 club and i was doing all kinds of fun things there we would go out and we would be talking about our new band i remember we would go dancing at places like uh the bayou the, uh, the or the other side mm-hmm. or all those other places uh and i remember also that at one time, you got sick when we were out <laughs> dancing somewhere. You got really, you, had, you doubled over in pain. We threw you in it the car. It was at the other side. Amy, Amy and I, were, we were snorting like a black beauty or something on the toilet seat uh, no in the way. back. No way. I did not do that. Okay, well, I was. It was definitely a black beauty, and I was snorting it on the back of the toilet seat That's with disgusting. somebody. <laughs> and we were there. <laughs> but wait, it was the first time we were at a Lezzy bar. It was a real Lezzy disco in the worst part of D.C. It was really scary going there. What do you mean the worst part? Well, where there were murders and people murders. like... You know. So you mean like it was like the warehouse district where, where nothing else was? Yeah, it was Tumbleweeds. Where gay, it's where gay bars used to be uh-huh. in, in like cities. Back, hidden uh-huh. away. Where hidden, hidden away. Right. No people roamed, just rats. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, what I remember with that particular night was that you doubled over in pain. We threw you in the car and then we drove. I drove as fast as... Because I was always the designated driver. And, and I drove as fast as I could to our, quote, doctor, unquote. Because if you remember... Nobody had insurance. And what did we do for doctors? No, we went to the emergency room. The emergency room. room. That's, that was our <laughs> medical. T- and the emergency is. Do you remember that we went into there and we, your, our eyes were all sparkly because it was all these women dancing together. I'll never forget the, the feeling of that. And there was this one woman who came up to us and she was all, hey, how you doing? My name is Mei Ling. She was the swinger of, of the other side. And then I collapsed because of, the, I guess, the Black Beauties, and you guys carried me out. It's funny. I don't seem to remember this, but if you're, if you're recounting it, I guess it happened because... Amy might not have been there. It might have just been you and me and, and someone else. Amy was there, you guys. Uh, Amy was there. She's denying she did the drugs, and she's denying she was dancing, <laughs> listen, and she's you know denying what? she was there. It was also a long time ago. I know. What I do remember, I though, was that, that the healthcare system in our country is such that all you could do for medical at that time was go to the emergency room, and that's what we did well, unless you had a time, real job. But also time and time again. I think yeah. that I was kind of past my drug phase at this point. I was becoming actualized and much more philosophical and things like that. No? Oh, Are no, that's you right. kidding me? Yeah, I remember Don't you when remember I... when you and I lived on Connecticut <laughs> yeah, Avenue? I yeah. I can't, we lived up 88 steps. We had a great apartment, but it was 88 steps. Every time Someone you wanted to go or Someone bequeathed it to leave. me and then I bequeathed it to us. Uh, to us. Yeah. And we were living together and I remember <laughs> you were such a great roommate because there were times when we were so angry that we didn't t- talk to each other at all. We would just be in complete silence walking through these four rooms. Or there were times when you'd say like, hey, hey, Al, what is if I was walking past and all of a sudden my head were a chessboard, you would constantly be saying yeah. things like that to me. And do you remember that we took a self-defense class? You took the self-defense oh, class. Oh, I took a self-defense class and I wanted uh, Allison to attack surprise me, me when yes. I would come attack in the you. door. You guys, like that, Pink Panther. that's that Peter Sellers. No, movie. that was exactly where she got the idea really? from. Yeah. She wanted me to tackle her so she could practice her, her uh, moves. defense, her self-defense moves. And, and then the, what, a block from there was our office was the was the Betty office oh, which the was Cafe, Cafe Rondo. Rondo and we would sit there outside for literally 
for four or five hours Easily. during the day Easily. and drink cappuccino after cappuccino and mm. eat those little cookies that oh, they gave you with the, the white chocolate and yes. the guy that worked there hated us he no owned it. he, he owned hated it. you he, he, he yeah, loved he, me Villy was his name, and whenever he gave us any kind of problems, he'd say, you sit, you sit, you sit for so long, for so long. I said, Villy, go downstairs and leave us alone. Okay, my love. He looking good you how so you much. feel. Looking, looking good, good how you feel. Looking good how you feel. And remember, I worked there for one day, and he fired me. Well, of course he did. Yeah, I didn't want to work there anywhere. Yachty worked there, and we loved Yachty so much. But that was our office, so that's What's where we interesting is this is before phones, this is before computers, this is before any of that stuff. So well, we would literally sit there and talk about what we wanted to do, and that's what our office was for. And then anybody who walked by, that's, they knew that's where they could find us. Allison, and we, and it we was would, wait a minute. We would wait, chisel wait. stuff into Wait, into it was granite. before cell phones. It wasn't before phones we're not that ancient no 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 before cell phone yeah yeah. Oh, because I remember yes. Karen Weiss my dear friend at the time Karen Weiss who started working as a DJ at 930 Club had a computer at yes. her house and I went over to her house and I said well what do you do with this thing and that was the first thing it was one of those big giant beige ones remember and she, that's how we started having mailing lists and, and finding out ways we can be in touch with other people meanwhile the people that did computer science in high school people made fun of them they're laughing now. Oh, they're billionaires now. Cabillionaires. But you kind of got there, didn't you, with the computer? I mean, oh, yeah. It's yeah. a great way. To, and Elizabeth did, too. The two of us were, were the technology but that wing. Was way, that was way down the line. But we, I loved Cafe Rondo. I loved hanging out there and doing nothing all day long. Oh, it was the all best. Day, nothing. All but day long. We no did phones a to things. just troll, troll, troll. You know, we did. We dreamed. We dreamed and we talked and we wrote songs. Remember, and we, we also would sit talked there and write feminism. stuff. I, and, Yes, we did. We talked about feminism. I a remember lot. sitting at that table with six of us. There were six of us. And we were having a, I guess it was our consciousness raising sort yes. of place as well. We were talking about rape. Somehow we got on the, to the subject of rape. And it turns out that three out of the six people sitting at that table had been raped, mm -hmm. which to me was such an eye opening experience. It was so like, oh my God. Yeah. And yet it was also the national average mm -hmm. one out of three women. Mm -hmm. So. That's exactly, you know, actually a little bit more than that. Was well, we amazing. did we did do some work there because I remember we got our first gig and we had kind of a heightened sense of how great Self. we were, yeah. you know, because our friends had supported us for the first kind of performances. And now we had our first gig. And we thought we were it. We did. Of course we did. You have to think you're it. And then But also we, we'd been performing through Quiver, through right. Ambiance. We'd been performing for a while. Oh, so people knew who we were. Well, they did. They knew, they knew who we were. And we knew that we were just, this was, this was it. And we performed our very first actual gig at um, the Bayou, opening oh, for The Art, Art of, of Noise. noise. In full-length gowns. Yes. I work with I worked at the Bayou, and that's how we got the gig. Because I talked to my boss, and I said, "Can I?" And at the time, at the time, I had new, such new wave hair. I had shaved on the sides, and my bangs, my curly bangs, went down to my mouth. Yes. So you couldn't see my face. You couldn't see my eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a good look. And I thought I was so super cool, and I would just blow my. I would have to blow my hair out of my eyes to talk to you. Uh -huh. And I was a little bit monosyllabic. Yes, everybody who came into your record store was so afraid of you. Yeah. Afraid of the punk chick behind the <laughs> counter. They never wanted to bring up their, their albums thinking that you would diss them for having That place them. was so Where great, Where did we get our sparkly gowns? 
I think that we must have gone to um, one of the thrift stores or something. That, but that all three of us decided thrift store that was in southeast. Right, well, I but didn't they know were that. they were very heavy. Yes. they were like carpets. And why we decided that we needed to be wearing we, long. We had twenty minutes. We had a twenty minute gig, and I think we got ten dollars or something. I don't remember no, what it no, was. No, no, we we got a, we got some good money. Mm. We got you know at least five hundred bucks. But he, um, who was he? Dave. No. The Art of Noise? No, the guy that said that when we were booed off stage. Oh, that's right. We played, we were supposed to play for 20 minutes. We wound up only playing for 18 because we, the crowd was not ours. We were not the Art of Noise. They were not having us. We were booed off stage. The crowd was screaming kibbles and bits. Kibbles and bits. That's dog food. No, it was a dog commercial at the time. (laughs) Kibbles and bits. It better be kibbles and bits and bits and bits because dogs love crunchy kibbles with chewy bits. All kinds of bits for a -a one-of-a-kind taste. It was so horrifying. We couldn't get off off stage fast enough. And then we tried to get off the stage and there was a curtain that was behind (laughs) us. And so we tried to find the slit in the curtain, went in and it wasn't the actual door. We couldn't get off stage. We, We were pushing against each other in our beautiful, long, silvery, sparkly dresses. As a lump under the curtain. As a lump (laughs) and found our way in horror back to the dressing room where we just stood there shell-shocked. And then, then the, the guy, guy came, came up. In. Then the guy, then the, the manager came in and said, you haven't done 20 minutes. You need to go back on stage. Or we're not paying you. And that's when Elizabeth actually turned to go back out and I grabbed her arm and I said, we're not going out there. That was brutal, beyond brutal. We are not going out. We are getting paid and we have to. We just- also went straight to the bar. That was that was Oof, brutal. That was brutal. That was but our first brutal this. gig. I ran into someone not a year ago who said to me, "Oh my gosh, you're in that band, Betty. I remember seeing you at the Bayou." And I was like, "Please don't tell me the Art of Noise." He was like, "Yes, at the Art of Noise show. You all were fantastic." I think that's the only time we played there. Well, what's interesting is is that the way we saw it was maybe not necessarily what the world saw, and I think that's the one of the first times that we real we realized that sometimes there can be a, a disconnect between what we are envisioning and what other people or maybe are. there's just one person in the crowd when you bomb that likes your music so after that disaster of a show we (laughs) went back to our office at the cafe rondo and we were thinking about what we should do next and amy had the idea let's put on a show and we were like all right and so we decided to write an autobiographical show about us called betty inside out if uh, you don't go to the broadway the broadway has to come to you we started writing a show on the rooftop of our apartment in dupont circle and um, we decided that we would do the first part kind of autobiographically it was a musical musical of course and of course. the second part yeah. a concert sort of autobiographical <laughs> it was sort of like heightened versions of each of our characters but we, right. we weren't going to put it on in, at, a, at a theater or anything. I was working at a place called DC Space, mm. which next to the night, well, actually it was pretty equal in coolness to the 930 Absolutely. Club, which is different. It was very arty. Yeah, more art than music. Super, super arty. It's where uh, Laurie Anderson played for the first time in DC. It was very small and super, super cool. And I worked there one day a week and pretty much made enough money to pay my rent because I had f- somehow fallen into this great apartment for $250, two bedroom apartment in DuPont Circle mm. when I was working at Record and Tape and a guy was taken away from Record and Tape because he'd been stealing out of the till and they locked literally handcuffed him and took him out of the of the store and as he was leaving he said you can have my apartment oh. and they took the keys and, and gave them to me that's a so great I, story yeah mm-hmm. he didn't go to jail though 
That's good. But and you still got the apartment. I still got the apartment. And, and, I kept and Allison that and I forever. had a great apartment, too. Yeah, That's we right. had that a great. friend of ours, the friend of mine, bequeathed to me. Mm-hmm. And we, oh, that was great. So we did 35 Connecticut Ave. So we didn't amazing. have to work very much because we could basically work a couple nights a week and, well, and I make was enough. Working. But I, was, I think a lot of artists at that time in, uh, in, in D.C. had that luxury. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why there was so much art, so much music, so much happening, so much right. spoken word, because it was it hadn't gotten as crazy. Ex- it was expensive. livable. Yeah. It was livable, and friends were helping friends, mm-hmm. and um, there and were, people would give you food for free. And the rules weren't so people were, did not go by the rules. People you, were looking out for everybody. Yeah, if, you know? pe- if people came in a record and tape from next door, they worked at Mr. Henry's. They would come in. I never charged them. And then when I went to Mr. Henry's, they didn't charge me for food. Yeah. So that's how it worked. It was a good much. system. A really mm-hmm. good system. Yeah, I like that system. But so, anyway, so we decided to do the show at DC Space. <laughs> it became a hit. Yeah. The television reporter came. The, Arch Campbell. Arch Campbell came. Oh, and him. he gave us a crazy, wild love letter. He talked about it with a glint in his eye and actually said it was something that he just couldn't really describe, except for it was pure joy and these three crazy girls that were talking about who they were as superheroes and then put on a really great concert. And so all sorts of kinds of people came. It started selling out. It became kind of the groove. It was was really joyful. And we didn't... Take ourselves that seriously. We didn't take ourselves... Yeah, we never really sort of have. We took the music seriously, but not ourselves as much. But I think that also comes from being ethnic. You know, you're able to laugh. You have, it's that black humor. You're, you can laugh at sad things or, or yourself more. You, you can be more self-aware. DC Space cultivated this thing. Basically, they said, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You don't have to You don't have to acclimate to anything. You don't have to put yourself in any sort of box. And we did whatever so we wanted. So it was a musical. Mm-hmm. It was a musical, and it gave us a platform, and it gave us a way to reach out to lots of different kinds of people and to hone our skills as a trio. Cody caught wind of it, and she said... I want you to play in New York. And so she was the one that first got us our first New York gig at Danceteria, if you remember, with the Flaming Hamsters right. opening. and uh, On the fourth floor of Danceteria. Uh, That's uh, where Madonna um, and right started before, playing, right? Right? right before we went to New York, we got a beautiful spread in the Washington Post arts section. Oh, from Joe Brown. Mm-hmm. He wrote that one, right? Joe Brown came to, um, to our office at Cafe Rondo and he created this beautiful template for us in Washington, D.C. It was a pride, you know, that Washington, D.C. community, were, they were proud of us. And also, because we didn't fit in any category, and we were friends with all the different kinds of musicians, and because I worked at Record and Tape, as well as D.C. Space, and you worked at 930 Club, we, had, we knew everybody in the music scene. Mm-hmm. And so, like, people from Discord Records would come to see us, and then you would have people from, you know, we... we we HR played, and the Bad Brains. Right. Yeah. We played with Trouble Funk one New Year's at the 930 Club. Mm-hmm. It was very mixed. We played mixed. with James Brown at the Post Office Pavilion. And Cap Calloway. Yes. Yeah. I think that, though, yeah, it was just great to be able to go in and out of different labels and constructs and things like that. And I think all the while where people were just experimenting with music and they didn't hold us to one certain kind of you know, category, which was fun. The thing that didn't really work for us with the no category thing was actually getting some sort of a record deal. That's so true. Yeah. Girl Band Podcast was recorded, engineered, and produced by Elizabeth Zeff in her studio in New York City, East Village, traffic included. It's safe to say that most of what you remember is mostly wrong in one way or another. 
riddled with small and large errors that slipped in. So this is what Betty remembers. Take it from there. On Beyond Zebra, Quiver and Betty, demo music from Alison Palmer Archives. Music clips and other credits, Nikki Weavers, Sean Duggan, Gloria Steinem intro, Chain Reaction by Betty from Hello Betty album, Picnic Love Affair on Beyond Zebra demo, the Octolead instrumental version on Beyond Zebra, Mr. Marquis on Beyond Zebra demo, Kiwi Connection on Beyond Zebra demo, Sigmund Quiver live at Sunrise Club, Girl Watcher Betty demo 1986, Fed Up Betty demo 1986, I Met Someone Betty Rules off Broadway show soundtrack, the Art of Noise, live at Hammersmith Odeon, 1988. Kibbles and Bits, commercial, 1988. Shrink Back, from the album Hello Betty, produced by Mike Thorne. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Betty perform on April 14th at Joe's Pub in New York City. They've got shows coming up in London, North Germany, Michigan, Maryland and lots of other places. For more information, check out their website at hellobetty.com. Cheers for now.